Well, today we're in week two of our series, Arrival, and surprise, surprise, in the month of December, we are looking at the Christmas story, and we're looking at the season of Advent as to the arrival of Jesus. And here's what we're saying. Christmas is a time of, of expectation and preparation, but it wasn't always that way. At the very first Christmas, no one expected anything, and no one was prepared for God to do anything. But the events of the first Christmas serve as a constant reminder and a reminder in the Christmas season. And oh yeah, even in 2020, that even when you don't expect anything of God, you should still expect some things from God. That while life is inconsistent and life is all over the map, God is consistent. That God is not inconsistent like life is. And we can expect that God will be who he has always been. He will do what he has always done. And he will continue to act in the ways that he always has. Now, getting started with the new content today, let me ask you a question, and this might be a little bit of an embarrassing question, but would you hit the like bar, in some, the emoji bar in some way, shape, or form if you have an irrational fear? And when I say irrational fear, I mean something where you, like, you know it's ridiculous, but every time you think about it or every time you get around it, you kind of just get this, this, like the hairs on the back of your neck raised, the hairs on your arms raised, and you just kind of get anxious or you kind of get nervous or maybe you even get filled with an overwhelming sense of fear and dread. Let me, let me just tell you two of mine, one that's really completely irrational and one that's only a little bit irrational. When I was in my early 20s, I don't know where this came from. I don't know why this developed. It, it, it doesn't, I, this isn't the thing for me anymore. But in my early 20s, I had an overwhelming irrational fear of Listerine mouthwash. I, I don't know why, but when I started living, living in, my, in the college dorms and in my apartments afterwards, I was absolutely convinced. I, don't, I think maybe it was that one time I was, I was gurgling with mouthwash and I started to cough. And then I was like, oh, and, and I had this moment. I had this overwhelming sense of dread that one day I would start to use mouthwash. I would gurgle. I would cough. And then I would choke to death. That was my, over, like my ultimate fear is in my early 20s that mouthwash would kill me. And then that you know, I, when you're living on your own, someone's going to find you. And I was worried that someone would find me. And then they would have to call you know, the, the, the responders. And they would show up. And they, and they would have to, to tell the cause of death and determine that the cause of death was being bad at mouthwash. That was one of my, that was one of my greatest fears in my, in my early 20s. It's an absolutely irrational fear, but that was a very real fear for me for like four years. I refused to use mouthwash. I had it had sitting on my, on my sink and I never touched it. It moved with me four times, but I never used it. That was a completely irrational fear. Second one that's not really an irrational fear, but how I responded to it was kind of, was kind of irrational. Um, for most of my early life, and this is kind of leveled out as, as, I, as I grew up, but for most of my early life, um, I had extremely low blood pressure. Extremely low blood pressure. And uh, it's a problem that not a lot of people have. Most people have kind of the, the opposite of high blood pressure. I have low blood, blood pressure. And um, for me, what it would cause is anytime I had been moving a lot and then stopped quickly, um, or, or if I had been sitting or laying down and got up quickly, I would pass out. Um, the doctors that I went to called it displacement hypotension. And so, and so I had this thing where I would just, you know, time to time, I would get up too quickly or I would stop moving too quickly from, from a lot of activity and I would just pass out. And I would literally just pass out and I would wake up a few minutes later kind of going, whoa, that's the ceiling. 
what happened? And people would say, like, hey, you know, if, if they were around, they'd say, you, you stopped moving quickly, and then you kind of just got real still, and then you passed out. And so that's what would happen to me. And, and that had kind of leveled out, but then I moved to Alamogordo, and for the first time, I was living on, like, completely on my own, in my own apartment, no roommates or anything like that. I had always had roommates or, or lived at my parents' house. And so I, 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 for the first time, was living on my own. And on the fourth day of living on my own, I went for a run, I came back, I took off my shoes, I stood up, and the next thing I remember is waking up, and about three inches behind my head was my, was my TV entertainment center's corner. And I remember thinking very clearly, boy, if I had fallen just a little bit differently, I wouldn't be getting up, I would be bleeding out. Isn't this the encouraging stuff that you come to like hear, like listen to my preaching for? Like now, like now, this is the reason I say this isn't like an irrational fear. Like this was kind of a rational fear. The way I responded to it though is what makes this irrational. The next day when I went into work, I took I took an extra key to my apartment and I went and I talked to my assistant who I had known and worked with for all of four days, and and I handed her a key and I said, hey. I just want to let you know, if it's, if it's ever like a work day and, it's, and I'm more than 15 minutes late and you can't get a hold of me, please take this key, come to my apartment and make sure that I am not dead. <laughs> and, I, and I'll, and I'll never, like, never forget the way she responded was the best way that, it, that anyone could ever respond to this. She just went, yeah, okay. And I was like, what? Like, like don't you want an explanation? Don't you want to hear anything? She's like, no, I just assume you have a reason. I was like, Thank you. That's an absolutely amazing response to a ridiculous question. And then a few hours later, I was working, typing type in my office, and she came in. She said, she said this, hey, I just want to ask, if, if it's possible that you might die in your apartment and I might have to come find you, can you do your best to always be wearing pants? And I thought, that's a pretty reasonable request. I'll make sure I'm, I'll, I'll do my best. And now, here's why I want to talk about fear today. Most of us don't normally associate fear with Christmas. See, Christmas is a time of hope. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of life. It's a time of peace. It's not supposed to be a time for fear. But this year, it's possible for you that you might be feeling a little bit of fear or maybe even a lot of fear creeping in on your Christmas. And you're wondering, is that okay? Is it all right to feel fear at Christmas? Is it all right to, to, to have some of these things that, that seem maybe like a little bit irrational, but maybe they're very, very, very rational? Like, is it okay for me to feel what I'm feeling this year at Christmas? Or we assume that any feel we fear around Christmas must be irrational. And on top of that, this year, we've all been bombarded with messages in, in, in both directions of fear and faith, that you have reasons to be afraid, that you have reasons to be afraid, that you have plenty to be afraid of, there's plenty to be afraid of, plenty to fear, plenty to fear, plenty to fear. And then on, 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 on some of the faith side of stuff, we've been told messages over and over again that you should choose faith over fear. That, that, you, that fear in what we've ultimately communicated, that no one should really have any fear. We should just simply choose faith. And if you choose faith, you won't feel the fear. But there are some very real and maybe I think some very realistic fears that you might be feeling in this season or that you might have felt this year. Let's talk about a few of them. You might be fearing the fear that something bad will happen. Has anyone else developed like a, what I call Thursday afternoon PTSD? The, the sense that, that almost like whenever the, the governor speaks on a Thursday afternoon, nothing good is going gonna, is gonna to come from it. That's not a political statement. I'm, I'm really not trying to make a political statement. But that's just simply that like that every, every time you know, there's, there's a new health order, it's not like a good thing. Like very rarely does anything 
good happened there or, or that helps us get back to life as we, as we want to be able to live it, as we want to be able to experience it. Like there's very little good news, like that, that something bad might happen, that you might get sick, that someone you know might get sick, that work might get shut down, that something bad might happen. You might have that fear. And that's a very realistic, very real fear. Another one is that you may have the fear that you're on your own and that no one else is looking out for you. Let me tell you where you developed this fear. If you went to try to buy toilet paper back in March... <laughs> you got the overwhelming sense that no one else was looking out for you because everyone was looking out for themselves. If you tried to buy Thanksgiving food supplies about three weeks ago or about a month ago, if you had to go stand in the lines and you had to see the, see the empty shelves of, of you know, turkeys gone and stuffing gone and potatoes gone, and you're like, well, I guess we'll have the, the, the smoked sausage Christmas, and you went and there was no smoked sausage either. If you went to try to do that, like you got the sense that everyone was looking out for, um, for themselves and no one was looking out for you. If you were to try to buy hand sanitizer in April, there was none. It was, the shelves were clear and you got the sense that no one was looking out with you. If you had to quarantine and you didn't know how you would get food or groceries and you're like, well, I guess DoorDash will be my friend and I'll have perfect strangers deliver stuff to me. That's just how I'm going to live. You might have gotten the sense that no one was looking out for you, that you were really on your own. And here's maybe the biggest one. It's simply the fear of the unknown. Like, like, what happens next? Like, what happens if someone does get sick? What happens if we can't get together for Christmas or we can't travel for Christmas like we're used to? Like, what happens if your workplace gets shut down and you actually do lose work or you actually lose your job? What happens when life goes back to normal? Here's one that I'm, that I'm thinking about. What happens when life goes back to normal and we've all turned short-term coping mechanisms into habits? And they're, and they're really unhealthy habits. They're healthy short-term coping mechanisms, but they're not healthy over nine months and they're not, not healthy over, over two years. And so like, what happens when life goes back to normal and we've all got these unhealthy habits? Like, What happens then? And here's what I want to say. Fear is real and it is okay for you to feel your fear. And if you feel any or all of that, there is some really good news found in the events of the first Christmas. Every one of those fears is felt in a very real way by someone at the heart of the Christmas story. And there's actually even better news that we learn from this person's viewpoint of the Christmas story. And it's simply this, that when fear becomes very real, God speaks very clearly. That when fear becomes very real, God speaks very clearly. Clearly, we're going to look at the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And here's some things that he experienced with it in regards to his fear and God speaking. Starting in Matthew chapter 1, we're told this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Here's a very real fear. Hey, Joseph, your family is going to fall apart before it even begins. How do you like that? Joseph, your fear that you're confronted with right now is that your family just might fall apart before it even has a chance to start. But while he's feeling that fear, what we see is that God speaks very clearly to Joseph. In verse 20, it tells us this. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. 
Here's a beautiful truth that we should remember in the, in, while facing our fears, while expecting that God might just speak to us. Here's what we need to remember. God doesn't always solve our problems, but God always speaks. God doesn't always solve our problems. God doesn't always solve our difficult situations, but God always speaks to us. God doesn't solve Joseph's problem. God speaks. God doesn't fix the, fix the situation. God brings clarity. Joseph is really concerned with what if and what about and what will people think. And God says, hey, Joseph, instead of worrying about how to get out of this, I'm speaking to let you know the role that you need to play in this. God provides incredible clarity in the middle of a, of, a, of a fear of the unknown, in the fear of what if something bad will happen. This is a big deal. When you face fear, God won't always solve the problem for you, but God will speak to you. This was the first time that Joseph learned this. And here's the second. Mary and Joseph then go to Bethlehem. They get married. They go, they go to Bethlehem to be counted as part of the government census. While there, Mary goes into labor and gives birth to Jesus. And then stuff, stuff got really wild. Like if, if stuff hadn't been wild before, then stuff got really wild. While they're in the manger after giving birth, shepherds arrive to worship this child with stories that angels filled the night sky to tell them about Jesus' birth. I mean, like no one showed up at the hospital to do that when my babies were born shepherds arrived from the middle of nowhere saying, hey, just wanted to let you know, angels filled the night sky to tell us to come and worship and see this newborn child, this newborn king. Wise men arrived saying they had followed a star to find the newborn king of the Jews and mentioned that they had stopped to ask at the palace where King Herod lived. They left incredibly valuable gifts while telling stories that King Herod had asked a lot of questions about the whereabouts of this child. And Joseph picked up that not all was well. And once again, in his sleep, God spoke and addressed what Joseph needed to do next. Matthew chapter 2 tells us this. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And there's another very real fear. Hey, Herod is power crazy. How, Herod will not stand a, a rival king, even if it's a newborn child, and he will search for and will kill this child. So Joseph, you've got a responsibility. You've got something that you need to do. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Once again, this fear was very real. This fear was a very real threat. What, what, what they were experiencing, what Joseph knew would happen, was a very real threat. And in the middle of that, once again, God spoke very clearly. And what's kind of interesting is if we look to the story of Joseph, we definitely see this pattern emerging that God speaks to Joseph through dreams. And if we're looking to, to draw conclusions that we don't need to draw, we might start to think, whoa, whoa, wait, wait. Okay, so when God speaks, he's always going to speak through dreams. So, so we just got to like fall asleep and hope that God will speak to us. And if we wake up and God hasn't spoken, we just need to go back to sleep and we, you know, until God finally speaks because God always speaks through, through dreams. And in the middle of a message about God speaking to us, I want to talk a little bit about how God speaks to us. I want to I be very clear about how God speaks to us. Because if you should expect that God speaks to his, his people, it's important for us to know how God speaks to his people. So here's a little bit of a guideline. Here's a, a general rule of thumb about how God chooses to speak to his people. God speaks through his word always. 
God speaks through his word always. The Bible is, a, is the word of God that has been spoken. It is not a book on a shelf. It is the word of God that has been spoken. God always speaks through his words because he has already spoken through his word, the Bible. God speaks while we're in prayer often. That when you, when you go to God it's in prayer, it should not just be giving a list of requests. It should be a time where you also listen for your heavenly father to speak to you. And God often speaks to us when we're in a time of prayer. God speaks through his people sometimes. God sometimes will speak through someone who's in your life who has a relationship with you, sometimes through a perfect stranger. I mean, that, that's a little bit more rare, but God will speak through people in your life to give words of wisdom, to give words of encouragement, to give words of affirmation that you're on the right path, to give words of correction that you may be on the entirely wrong path. God will speak through people sometimes. God speaks through signs and wonders rarely. I mean, there, I, th I think it does happen. I mean, I, I know it does happen that sometimes there is just this moment of like, wow, I was, I was waiting for God to show me the next step and there was a sign and it was absolutely the right thing. But God will do that very, very rarely in your life. And God speaks in dreams occasionally. Okay, so God speaks through his word always, through prayer often, through people sometimes, through signs and wonders rarely, and through dreams occasionally. God, here, here, but, but here's, here's the most important part. God knows how to speak to you. God knows how to get your attention. God spoke to Joseph in dreams because God knew Joseph and God knew how to get Joseph's attention. And the good news of Christmas and something that's, I think, beautiful about that is that God knows you and knows how to get your attention and how to speak in the ways that you will understand most clearly. See, we all need that. This is just another reason that God is so wonderful. He's a personal Lord and a personal Savior. He knows you personally. He knows what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and knows how to speak to help you. One more example from Joseph's life. In verse 19 of chapter 2, it says this, When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in, a, warned in a dream, one more time, warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophet had said. He will be called a Nazarene. See, God doesn't only speak when there's a reason to fear. He also gives us direction for when the fear subsides which is great news in 2020. Because there will be a day when everything that we have gone through and everything that we've experienced and everything that's happened this year will be a distant memory and where life will get back to the way that we have hoped and that we want to live life. And God will have something to say then and God will have something to say there about how to move forward. For Joseph, for Mary and Jesus, they lived in Egypt in fear that they may someday be discovered by Herod or someone with ties to Herod. And after Herod passed away, the reason to fear was gone, which meant it was time to make their way back. And God got Joseph's attention one more time in a dream to show him the way back so that Jesus's life and mission could begin where it was meant to happen all along. See, here's the, here's the great news about Christmas. You can expect that when fear is real for you, God wants to speak to you. You can expect the, the good news of Christmas. At, at the arrival of Jesus, we learn that when fear is real for you, God will speak 
to you. That when fear is real for you, God will speak to you. You can expect and trust your life to the fact that when fear gets the best of you, it has not gotten the best of God. You can trust you with everything that you have that when fear gets big, God is still bigger, and you and that when fear is screaming in your face, God can speak ever clearer to your heart and to your mind. And I think there's three ways that God might just want to speak, three things that God might just want to provide for you as he speaks to you in the face of fear. And the first one is what I would call clarity. That in the face of fear, you can expect that God will speak and provide clarity. See, sometimes our fear is driven because the picture gets really blurry. The picture gets really blurry. And you can't, and you don't know where to turn, and you don't know where to go, and you can't see, and so you get anxious. And to that, God brings clarity. Maybe not the whole picture, but he provides clarity for the part that you need. This is why that verse from the psalm says that God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to our path. When we walk in darkness, we don't need it to be daylight. We need just enough light to help us move confidently. And this is what God provides for us in the face of fear. A word, a a, a phrase, a, 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 a simple message that doesn't bring daylight, but gives us enough light to move confidently. See, when your fear is caused by a lack of clarity, God speaks and he brings clarity. For some of you right now feeling that very real fear and that very real confusion, this is incredibly good news. Not that God will give you a whole picture, but that he'll speak to you about your part and what he has and what he wants for you here and what he wants from you now. So God speaks and he brings clarity. The second thing that God speaks and he provides for us is a next step. Not only will God show you the picture that you need here and now, God will speak to you about what comes next. Like God did for Joseph when they needed to scoot so that they could escape Herod, God gave direction about what to do next. God will also give you direction about what you should do next. See, when your fear feels like a paralysis because you just don't know what to do next, know that God knows and God wants to speak to you about what's next. If you're fighting addiction and you don't know what to do next, God knows, and he wants to speak to you about what comes next. If you're fighting depression and you don't know what to do anymore, know that God knows, and he wants to speak to you about what's next. If you're frustrated with your child and you don't know what will make a difference anymore, God knows your next step, and he would like to speak to you about what comes next. He wants to speak to you and provide for you a next step. And in a moment, in a moment where you don't know what comes next, and you have that uncertainty, and you have that what if something bad happens? What do we do next? What if we do something next and we get it wrong? It's incredibly good news to know that God can provide clarity and that God can provide a next step for you. And so God provides clarity, God provides a next step, and finally, God provides a way back. This is beautiful. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where life has taken you, God always has a way back. And the second that you look to him, the second that you call to him, the second that you pray to him, the second that you call out in his direction, God will speak to you about the way back. See, sometimes life takes you far off the path that you were intended to be on. Sometimes you take you far off of the path that you were intended to be on. Sometimes other people will lead you in a direction that causes you to end up far away from where you were meant to end up. Life actually took Mary and Joseph all the way to Egypt, far away from where they intended to be, far from where, 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 where they dreamed that they would live their life with their new child. It took them all the way to another country. 
And wherever we find ourselves having wandered away, the moment that you call to God, the moment that you look to God, the moment that you begin to seek God and hope that he'll give you an answer, God will speak to you. And he'll show you the way back. He'll show you the way back to the life that you were intended to live and the way back to the person that you were meant to be and the purpose that you were meant to fulfill and, the, and, and everything about the life that you were meant to have. He will show you the way back, step by step by step by step. And for some of you, can I just be very honest, you have found yourself having wandered far from God. And God, through Jesus, has spoken about the way back to a relationship with him. It's why Christmas is worth celebrating. It's why at Christmas we rejoice about Jesus' arrival because the arrival is just part of the story. See, Jesus came to earth, lived as a child, lived as a teenager, lived as a man, and for 33 years lived a sinless life. Then he went to the cross. He died for my sins and for your sins. And then everyone said the story was over. And then Jesus rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin, hell, and the grave. And he did that for you. And when he did that for you, he made the way back for you. And the way back for me. He made the way back to a relationship with our heavenly Father. For everyone, for everywhere, for all of time. For whatever you have done, for wherever you have gone, for however far you have gone while you've been wandering away from God, Jesus made the way back. And today, if you make the decision to trust what Jesus did for you, you will find that Jesus is the way back to the welcome back into relationship with your heavenly Father. Jesus is the way back to the welcome back into the arms and to a relationship with your heavenly Father. That's the good news of Christmas, that God always speaks with, that with the arrival of Jesus, we have a direct connection to God. So when fear is real, we can hear from God. We can speak to God. We can expect and we can experience his clarity. We can know his direction and we can know the way back to our heavenly father and to live the life that we were intended and to fulfill the purposes that we were intended to fulfill. Thank God for Jesus's arrival. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today we simply thank you for, the, for this story. Thank you for the example of Joseph and for Mary and for the things that they experienced as a part of what you were doing. God, that the, that the fear that they experienced was right in the middle of what you were doing in their life and what you were ultimately doing for the world. God, thank you that, that in their story we're reminded that when we're following your will, we are not immune to fear, but we may experience some very real fear. And God, thank you that in the middle of this message, we understand that when fear is real, you speak very clear. And so God, I pray today that, that in the middle of our fear, we would stop, we would be silent, and while there's a million different things screaming for our attention and screaming for our ears and screaming for our brains and screaming for our, for our attention in so many different directions, God, I pray that we would be wise enough to be still, to be silent, and to hear your voice. God, I pray that you'd provide clarity where we need it. I pray that you'd provide a next step where we need it. I pray that you would provide the way back when we need that. And so God, speak to us today. We're listening. We want to hear from you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for what you're going to do. Amen.